Hey guys, welcome back to Blockcast. We are at our weekly rant time. It's Simon here and my co-host Will. How are you, buddy? Good, Simon. How about that Coinbase? How about that Coinbase? <laughs> How about that Coinbase? Everyone got really scared because Coinbase said that they're, you know, they're, is it the Maldives, I think, where they put to put a license in place and create a company. And everyone's going, oh my God, Coinbase is leaving the US. It's all over. Uh, that's not what they're doing. What they're doing is they well they are avoiding the US regulation. That's for sure. Because yes, the everyone kind of knows that the US is being hard on crypto and so Coinbase is opening its options up. And what they're doing is not different to what Binance does and what FTX used to do, because Binance has its international company and it has a Binance US listed company because it has to abide by different rules in the US. So Coinbase is doing the same thing. They've sat there and going, okay, well, well, they're, they're a public company in the US. So they can't exactly just entirely move everything but they are creating another company in the Maldives I believe it was to basically have competitiveness with other international exchanges because they don't have to abide by the US regulations by doing that and so what this means is Coinbase is probably if you're an investor in Coinbase it's probably a good thing because they are adding I guess the potential for more international customers because they've now got two companies that are that they've part own and one of them can be more competitive so they can actually go after you know the likes of finance and they are still going to have their arm in the US looking after Coinbase's majority US customers so they're still going to have that they said Binance did the same thing FTX did the same thing FTX said FTX US and FTX International just simply because they didn't want to have to do the regulations in the US for everybody in the world they were making it too hard um, and I guess it's just an example of what's been talked about in regulations a lot is that the US are making it so hard that everybody's leaving. And this is just another part of it. I wonder if this is a harbinger of things to come where companies in the US slowly start to straddle into more crypto-friendly places that are actively signaling crypto-friendliness versus just being a little bit vague like the US and some of the jurisdictions. And the second thing is that uh, new companies coming up are finding it really difficult to offer opportunities to people in the U.S. to even take part in ICOs, IDOs, IEOs. It doesn't matter. Uh, it, it's it's becoming increasingly difficult um, for Americans to take part. And in the end, uh, if this becomes a trend, it's, it looks like new services might be starting up in the Maldives or other friendly places. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely a sign. I guess the the lucky thing for the US is that because they are such a massive market, these big companies still need a presence there. They're not going to walk away from the US and the US market because of regulation alone. Like if it was Australia, they might just walk away from it. They go, you're too small, you're making it too hard, forget you. We won't even service you. But the US is too big for that. So what they do is what Coinbase is doing. They set up one company with rules for the US and one company for everyone else to make it easier and more competitive because you know coinbase can't compete when it comes internationally with binance if they're trying to follow us regulations and so that's what they're going to do and i think it's a good idea for coinbase to do that from a business perspective in so many ways and i don't mind us being less you know d- directed by the us i think it's a good thing because maybe the us has to eventually go well hang on we're losing all this innovation. We're losing all these companies. We're losing all this business. And maybe they will you know, change their tune a little bit about how hard they're being because you know, they still want to be at the forefront of technology. And they won't be if they let this go. 
Oh yeah, and hopefully they do it faster than the speed of government, which is always an issue. <laughs> yeah, look, I think it's a, a problem the world over, maybe the Western world over, with I guess the baby boomer generation who are resisting change. You know, they are still the largest voting block, although the millennials are definitely starting to run that down as the baby boomers, you know, start to die off. That's just you know demographics. But the, the baby boomers are in charge and the baby boomers are, I need to protect what I have. Whereas obviously the younger generations are going, I need to take advantage of the opportunities that are in front of me because I've got a long yeah. path ahead. And so that's normal human yeah. issues, I guess. But the baby boomers are in charge. The baby boomers are resisting change because the baby boomers don't want to change. And I think that's part of the whole government issues around this stuff. Oh, yeah. And it's really hard to convince a baby boomer let's say on what the value of an NFT could be. An older person, to an older person, it makes a lot of sense to send flowers uh, as an expression of love. Uh, to a much younger person, uh, it's it makes more sense to send a virtual image of flowers and the receiver is actually really happy to get that. Whereas, uh, you know, if, if someone sent uh, their girlfriend a picture of flowers back in the 70s, I think that would have probably not gone really well. <laughs> that's a really cool analogy maybe, maybe it should be you know an nft bouquet of flowers yeah. you know this is your one-off yeah. your one-off unique bouquet of flowers that's kind of cool, yeah. <laughs> cannot be duplicated <laughs> yeah one of one geez can uh, you think of the re-gifting though yeah <laughs> constantly yeah. re-gifting these flowers <laughs> Hey, honey, I got you a picture of flowers. <laughs> and here's a photo of a Ferrari. <laughs> go with it. <laughs> and then she's going to go look at the blockchain, look at the, the the scanner and go, hang on, but you got it from that person who got it from that person who got it from that person. This is like an eight to use set of flowers. <laughs> Second hand, what the hell? <laughs> uh, hey, that might be the future. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah, yeah, times are changing. <laughs> who knows? And did, well, that's the thing, you, you can't send flowers distances very easily. Mind you, with Web2, you can contact someone over a distance to send flowers locally. So, I don't know, that's an interesting idea. Anyway, that was an interesting side topic. Um, what about price, mate? What's price been doing of late? What are your thoughts? Oh, price had gone down last couple of days. Um, yeah, we're back down to $28,000. Uh, but I, I still think we're in a bull. Well, what do you think, Simon? It's so funny how, especially crypto Twitter, the bears came out and everyone got fearful again from a little drop. Mm. It's not up only. We're definitely not in an up only period of the market. Like we're a long way from that and we're still in you know, the chop. And I guess you've only got to compare it to you know, 2019 to see what the market actually did. And so, you know, following very similar patterns, 2019 and 2023, and that we have had a large push up from the bottom and we've had a long consolidation period, but when you zoom in on 2019, there was ups and downs, 20, 30% ups and downs constantly throughout that year. So I don't see this year being any different. So I think this is just part of the cycle, part of the volatility. And if it's got you worried, you know, you're overexposed. Whereas for me right now, because I am still dollar cost averaging in, gets me excited again because the prices are a bit lower than the last time I bought it. And so that's a good emotional state to be in, I guess. And if the price, uh, bounces back up uh, it, it just creates another level of resistance and you know that's great it means that uh, we're reaching lower lows and higher highs which could signal 
more strongly a bull run, which I think we are in already. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm not a trader. I'm pretty sure you're not a trader either. So I just tend to zoom out and, okay, the price 10 days ago, we're at the same price as 10 days ago, pretty much. Mm. So this is just noise. This is just the noise of the crypto markets. Mm -hmm. And it's 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 going to be volatile like that for another good number of years until, who knows, maybe Bitcoin hits the trillions. Uh, which brings up another interesting point. Do you think Bitcoin will always be volatile or do you think we'll reach a place where it's pretty much a stable coin? <laughs> I think you've just got to compare it to gold. That's mm. effectively what Bitcoin's going towards. I know people want to use it for payments as well. And probably it will get used for payments once it gets to more that stable level. And I think the answer to that is we need more of a global adoption. So we can't have more retail pushing into the space. You know, they talked about how in 2022, 2021, when we had the bull market on, we got up to like 300 million global users of crypto. And so that's well below kind of the world population. And they're talking about this next bull market. I know I've heard projections that we're going to hit, you know, the billion users. So that's getting closer to saturation point. And so we need to get to that point of saturation. Like, you, you, you know, gold's obviously not used in, in by many people in any way, shape, or form. But it's, I guess, saturated the market. Everyone has access to it. Everyone knows of it. But you know, not many people actually want to buy it. I guess is the big difference. And I think that's when Bitcoin gets stable. Is that when? Nobody wants to buy it. Nobody's trying to make huge amounts of money off it. It's just there to be used as yeah. a utility that it is to store value. Yeah, it might you, actually. Yeah, go ahead. Oh no, I, was, I like what you said in that it's it's similar to gold. But then, you're. It's interesting what you said. It might reach a point in time where everyone who wants it has it, and no one really is looking to sell it. And it starts to approach a point where it's it's a store of value. It's not really losing too much value. It's not gaining heaps of value. It's just kind of there and um. yeah that's i mean that's always been the thesis of gold is that you know an ounce of gold today could buy you the same goods and services as an ounce of gold could a thousand years ago so it maintains value so regardless of what fiat prices might do and inflation of fiat prices gold has always kind of been and it's been the best measure of that of stability over long periods of time and so bitcoin will probably get to that it's probably a decade away from that at least I would think yeah. because it's just still too immature but i think it will get there but then who knows because of bitcoin utility it may still have some volatility around that i guess because people could start using it for transactions once it starts to level out you know we can't have 20 percent, 30 percent spikes we can't have you know like the last 10 days of it going up but you know i think it was like a seven or eight percent push up and seven percent drop over a period of 10 mm -hmm. days we can't have that and it be used as a point mm -hmm. of sale you know, currency kind of thing. It's not good for that. So it looks like it, it might be a speculative instrument, an alternate to stocks, maybe a, a refuge instrument when stocks are crushing, go to Bitcoin and Bitcoin is crushing, go to stocks. Maybe at some point when it reaches the trillion dollar valuation, uh, it might be harder and harder to move the price. Uh, you know, if, if I put in $10 million in Bitcoin, I might cause an uptick or a downtick, but if it's worth a couple of trillion, no, no one might notice if I put in $10 million into Bitcoin. Maybe once it gets there. Yeah, sure. I mean, well, Bitcoin has been a trillion dollar market cap before, so it's probably got to get more than that. It's probably got to get to about $10 trillion when, um, you know, single actors can't really move the price. And I think that's the, that's kind of the gold market cap is around that $10, $12 trillion mark. Don't, 
don't yeah. quote me on that one but um that's when yeah people can't push the price of lots of money is a big thing of it uh yeah. what, what is the current market cap of bitcoin it is at 546 million billion to be yeah but it, it, it was up at like one and a half trillion at the at the peak so it has been a trillion dollars yeah so it gets up there but that's not enough to stop volatility because i guess it's not consistent enough but um mm -hmm. it'll get it, it's I, I think the answer the short answer to a very long answer that i had then is that yes it will eventually stopping as well so uh just it's stable yeah <laughs> but maybe because maybe the deflationary nature of it um unlike gold where we can still dig up more gold it may just mm -hmm. have a gradual tick up none of this 80 percent crashes mm -hmm. and 50 percent crashes and stuff it'll just be a slow trickle up that makes sense with the growth of population with the growth of goods it might just uh, track that maybe yeah and with the devaluation of currencies it'll always i guess tend to track upwards you'd have to think mm -hmm. uh but yeah, it's an interesting one. And I think when we get there, the opportunity in crypto to make lots of money is kind of behind us. Yeah. And that's, that's all we're here for. That's all we're here for at the end of the day. Yeah, that's, we are here that's to, we're here. you know, a lot of people are here to change the world. You know, they're here to revolutionize the world and, and stuff like that. But, it, you know, I'm still here to make money as well. I like those ideas. I like the idea yeah. of, you know, separating money from government. I'm, I'm all on board with that kind of thesis and stuff. But at the end of the day, I wouldn't be here. I still wouldn't be here. See, I've got this belief that any sustainable revolution needs to be profitable. In that, <laughs> <laughs> somebody needs go, to go on, go on. I want to hear this. <laughs> no, in that, in that, when the church was in power, it, it definitely had provided a lot of good. It, uh, you know, built roads. It helped move technologies because the priests could write and everything. And then after a while, the church actually stood in the way of profit. The roads already built, people could already read, and now the church was just there, uh, I guess, wasting everybody's time. And I think that's kind of how it slowly got, I guess, overtaken by more profitable systems. You know, that's kind of why I personally believe that communism will never really work. And that's in the, uh, what's the book called? The Sovereign Individual. They say that it's really difficult for communism to work and take over simply because capitalists are way better at creating more goods, more weapons, because they're more greedy and there's way more profit. Now, to get a communist to build anything, you have to whip them because <laughs> you don't have any other incentive. I'm sorry, communists. <laughs> so I just think that any successful revolution needs to be profitable. And, you know, Bitcoin seems to be pretty profitable so far. Yeah, and I think like most technology changes and change in general, it needs to be significantly better for people to change. And so mm -hmm. that's down to the protocol level all the way up to Bitcoin. For people to change, it needs to be significantly better to do that. And people don't see that, you know, straight away. You know, the things like, you know, Brink when they brought in cars and things like that, nobody knew they wanted that to a degree and they couldn't see the benefit of it because a lot of the roads weren't really any good for them either. And so it doesn't, you know, it, it's kind of like you see it a little bit and everyone goes, oh, no, it's a waste of time. And you see a little bit more and then you're like, oh, okay, I'm something else. And then it's everywhere, you know. And I think, you know, going forward with future technologies, you know, AI has, you know, been one of those ones that's really come. Everybody kind of knew of it and never really seen it. Now everybody knows about it. And then I think like, you know, 
driverless cars are going to be the same thing. It's going to be like people have heard about it now. The next people are going to start seeing them, and then it's going to be everywhere as that network adoption, you know, goes parabolic kind of thing. It's just going to go straight up. And so that's technology in general. I think that's trajectory of crypto. I think that's trajectory of Bitcoin, especially. So everyone knows about it now. Nobody sees the value of it yet or has the need for it as yet, but eventually it's going to get to the point where everybody's got it. Yeah, I guess the quote is slowly first and then all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah, it's like the <laughs> exact same quote, yeah. The exact yeah. same quote. So I think that's, yeah, it's an interesting time for sure. You know, uh, speaking of uh, adoption, I remember hearing this theory called infrastructure inversion, and I thought about it when you mentioned cars and roads. And the theory goes that first the technology comes and it's cumbersome because the infrastructure doesn't work yet. So cars came out and there's this cobblestone roads to drive on. It was uncomfortable, not that great because the infrastructure has, hadn't been built yet for cars. And then what happened was cars started getting adopted and then roads started coming out and then cars really accelerated in the adoption. But the thing with that infrastructure of roads is that when that was built, it became good for cars, good for horses, good for people. So the new infrastructure was amazing for the new technology and it also just carried all the technology with it. That brings us to telephones as well. Initially, uh, the internet used to run through telephone lines, super cumbersome, super slow, and then people started adopting it and they said, let's build roads for the internet. The internet became so fast that suddenly the internet infrastructure could carry sound conversations and video conversations as well. And so that inverted. And so the theory goes that with blockchain, right now it's slow and it's using all of these things and the interface is really hard to use and nobody gets it. But if the adoption becomes interesting enough, it's almost like the infrastructure will change and more things will be onboarded onto blockchain. So we won't be convincing people to get onto the blockchain and use Bitcoin. The dollar, assuming it still exists, will be on the blockchain. Money yeah. will be on the blockchain. Yeah, because yeah. it ends up being easier and better for it, doesn't it? And it, you, you are yeah. right there. We, we are seeing some of that infrastructure that changes, you know, inverting what you're saying there uh, in crypto because Bitcoin came along and was not fast enough, wasn't really good for point to point. And then the Lightning Network came along and started doing that. And so the Lightning Network could evolve to, to so much more by the time it's actually used as a point to point. And then same as Ethereum. Ethereum was slow and it was expensive. And then the Layer 2s are starting to come along. And now more things and more ideas can be built. You know, So they're, they're talking you know, about the scaling elements of blockchain, just, you know, just absolutely going through the roof. And so just like the internet you know, and our download speeds, just kept going more and people coming up with more ideas mm -hmm. to fill up that bandwidth. And so I think that's going to be the same for blockchain. It was insane a couple of years ago thinking of a social network running on a blockchain. It was totally impossible. And and now, with thanks to IPFS and all these layer tools like you mentioned, we've got Lens Protocol and all these other new protocols coming out. Who knows what's next? Yeah, and I guess that's the, uh, the key to to the investing in it is to trying to spot these really cool ideas that come up that nobody thought of yet because now we have faster cheaper what can we do with it what can we do with it that's kind of always the interesting thing what is that next you know smart developer going to come up with oh yeah if i could go back in time and be old enough to buy apple google facebook microsoft 
Yeah, well, you still can buy them, mate. <laughs> <laughs> They're still here. I don't want them at these prices. <laughs> I, 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 did, I tend to disagree a little bit there because with your push into AI that Google and Apple have such a monopoly on, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if their prices can keep going bigger because, you know, AI is such a huge thing. We all know about it. Um, and what most people don't know is that, you know, Google and Microsoft and Apple are behind most of it. So they've got the infrastructure to be able to run that AI stuff. So yeah, I could not be financial there. advice. Don't, don't necessarily go buy Apple and Google. Advice. It's not financial advice. <laughs> but I don't think it's as bad as buy as you think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, AI. And I want to see what AI does in blockchain, if they manage to somehow integrate it or if it's going to be its own separate product. Well, they talk about, you know, how crypto is, you know, a new asset class. You know, maybe AI finds its way into its own, I don't know whether you can call it an asset class, but AI will definitely find its own unique niche in the world. And uh, I think it's scary what it's going to do in the future for us. Oh, yeah. Scary and cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, scary and cool. I can't wait to see what happens. And look, it, it comes down to the whole, you know, this is where crypto does help in the AI thing. You know, we have, you know, digital scarcity, digital assets, digital identity. And so in a world where AI can create anything and everything, I think that digital identity is going to be very important. And so to be able to prove you are who you are rather than an AI generated video or an AI generated voice. And I think digital identity can help with that. So I think crypto might have some of the solutions to the problems that AI will pose to us. Uh, I'm not saying they're here yet, but I think yeah. it's, it's got a chance to, to help out with that issue. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, uh, definitely want to keep my eye out for AI and see what possible interactions there are. Like you said, it might be proving your identity. That's going to be really important, probably sooner than we think. Uh, in a couple of years, I could probably give my photograph to an AI and it'll recreate a version of me with my voice doing anything. <laughs> doing oh, I, I don't think a couple of years, mate. I think that that kind of stuff already exists. I've already seen clips of, you know, different celebrities and stuff being auto-generated in AI and it's not seamless yet. So you can kind of tell. Uh, mm. But there's no doubt in, yeah, like a year's time, I think those problems will disappear. And I think you'll be really questioning is this the real person or not? It's very, it's very hard. Yeah. And the thing is, celebrities won't be able to stop it. I mean, if a company decided to take a likeness of Jay-Z and create a song and release it, Jay-Z can easily go there and sue them and with rights. But if some kid somewhere made a really cool rap or asked an AI to write a rap and took Jay-Z's likeness and voice and re released a rap video out there, well, there's no way they're gonna find that kid. And that song will be everywhere. If it's a good song, it'll be everywhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you probably can go after me if they're trying to you know, monetize it in some way. What, what, what happens if the AI monetizes and the AI takes the money from it? And the AI is programmed to try and make more money. Oh, it's probably going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're, we're going to be talking about the, the richest AI in the world. Yeah, an AI in the wild with a directive. What else do you need? give it AI links, I mean, uh, API links to anything it needs. Oh, that's it. Uh, it could generate avatars, have video conversations. You wouldn't even know that you're talking to an AI. Yeah, I guess the, the, the cool things behind this kind of concept though is that, you know, you've got, 
you know, a really popular, maybe, who should we throw out there as an example? Know, just, just even Elon Musk. If there was an AI that created Elon Musk's persona and knew the knowledge which he knows, which an AI probably could know a lot about SpaceX and Tesla and stuff like that, they could create a 3D rendered version of him and you could go and have a one-on-one conversation with this AI version of Elon Musk. And it's so seamless that you wouldn't necessarily know you weren't talking to him. Then, yeah. isn't that kind of a benefit? You're kind of getting to have a one-on-one conversation, but you're not? Yep, yep. I'm, I'm getting the wind up here, mate. I think that, that's uh, good. Oh, yeah, we could edit that out. <laughs> All right, mate. Well, I think that brings our rant to an end for this week, mate. But I will catch you again next week. All right, Simon. Until next week. <laughs>